Thank you, worship team, for that amazing song. And thank you, Linda, for preaching. And Linda is quite a preacher, eh? Especially for an accountant. <laughs> That's an internal joke. My wife is an accountant too, quite a preacher. Um, <laughs> in the early Greco-Roman Empire, when the barbarians attacked the city, the mighty Roman army will go out to war. And sometimes the wars will last for days and weeks and even months. And in the end, imperial army will always win. That's why the, the Roman army, right? And when they, then when they win, they come back and the soldiers will go to every city and every street corner and they will proclaim like a shout of joy and they will scream out from the street corner, Evangelion, Evangelion, Evangelion. Good news, good news, good news. The enemy has been defeated, the victory has been won, and you live in freedom, Evangelion. Now, the early Christians saw this, and they unashamedly <laughs> borrowed this because they knew the message which Jesus gave to the world, what he accomplished on the cross, and the best way to encapsulate that message for that particular audience was this one word, evangelion. Good news, enemy has been defeated, victory has been won, and we walk in freedom. And that's how the word evangelism came about. Evangelism is not a program of the church. Evangelism is not a facet of our ministry. Evangelism is the gospel. Evangelion is the gospel, the good news that Jesus redeemed us from the clutches of sin and allowed us to walk on the freedom of the Holy Spirit. And that is the message of the church. And here we, here at Lake Avenue Church, evangelism is one of the core values of Lake Avenue Church. So we proclaim boldly to the culture, to the public, to the church, it doesn't matter the audiences, but evangelism is integral to Lake Avenue and our community. So I'm going to share with you a very simple message today. I was assigned this verse. This is what we call a salvation verse. So most of you, if not almost all of you, have been in church and have heard this verse and probably experienced this verse for personal uh, salvation. So I'm going to read this verse for you. Uh, if you, as you're able, maybe you can stand with me for reading of the word. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes 
resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. I'm going to read that first verse one more time. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. A man went to a pharmacy with a body full of rashes. So the pharmacist gave him an over-the-counter medication and it subsided the problem and you know, he, he felt better. And the next week he went to the pharmacy again with a fever and headache. And the pharmacist gave him another over-the-counter drug, made him better. And then the next week he came back again to the pharmacy with blurred vision, itchy eyes and a lot of other problems. And the pharmacist gave him another over-the-counter drug and then he said, hey, you're coming every week. There could be something more to the problem, right? So there is a clinic right across. Why don't you go and test it? So the man said, yeah, that's not a bad idea. So he went across the street and there was a young doctor fresh out of the university, very fresh, and he did some testing and you know, all the, he did a proper diagnosis. And the end he said, there is good news and very bad news. Good news is that I've diagnosed your problem, that you have a heart condition in which the valves of the heart is not opening and closing swiftly. And as a result, the muscles of your heart muscles are not working properly. So the real bad news is that you need a heart transplant. No medication can cure you. You need a heart transplant. So the man said, how can I get the heart transplant? So he went and you know, the doctor put him on a wait list for the donors of the organ. Unfortunately, the man has a very rare blood type. So there is no chance of getting for him to get any, any donor at any time in the future. So the doctor said, up until you get it, maybe you have to go back to the pharmacy and get the over-the-counter medication so that it will cure you, but it will not heal you, you know? It will treat the symptoms, but it won't really treat the sickness. Now I'll come back to the story again. I'll not, I, I'm going to complete the story towards the end of my sermon. But I want you to get this picture of a man going to the pharmacy. Because the religions of the world, or even the philosophies of the world, are doing exactly the same thing. They treat symptoms. They give you over-the-counter medication. They give you forgiveness. They offer you liberation. And they offer you liturgies and rituals and sacrifices and many things. And these things can give you certain kind of cure, but it will not give you salvation. But then the Bible is about a doctor who actually came and diagnosed the condition humanity is in. Jesus described himself as a doctor. And you know, in Mark chapter 
uh, 2:17, he said, "It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick." So Jesus claimed himself to be a doctor. Not a pharmacist who sells medication, a doctor who does the actual diagnosis. And he said, you need a heart transplant. Nothing else will do. Now this is the difference between religions and Jesus or Christianity. Right? So even when you look at the Old Testament, you see... Religion is giving you a lot of sacrifice rituals. Many rams and many lambs and many gods and many doves and many pigeons were offered on the altar. And the blood was been flowing for years and years. But none of this could give us salvation. It could offer us forgiveness, which is a temporary cure. But salvation is very different. So people were tired of doing guilt offerings, sin offerings, burnt offerings, peace offerings, and grain offerings, and all of this in the Old Testament. Then almost right in the middle of the Bible, at the end of the Old Testament, comes the doctor. And the doctor said, hey, I have a diagnosis. And this is what Jesus said. This was the actual scene in which he, di he, di he does the diagnosis. Mark chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Jesus said, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. So he said, the evil does not come from outside. The evil comes from our heart. It comes from within. Now this is radically different from what religions teach us. Because sin or the human problem is all about what we do or what we don't do. That is how religion or the law describe the human predicament. But Jesus said it's not just about what you do or you don't do. It's about who you are. Because evil comes from inside. This is a heart condition. This comes from deep within. And all these 13 different products, there are, there's a list of 13 evil things, Jesus said. The, our heart is a factory which produces these 13 different products on a consistent basis, on a non-stop conveyor belt. And we put a blazer on top of it and say, I am Dr. Matthew P. John. But God looks deep into my heart and sees this factory which is continuously producing the evil and says the problem is not with your qualification. The problem is not with your profession or ministry. The problem is inside you. There is a heart condition and you need a heart transplant. Now that is not a very interesting message for us to hear. To admit that our, our heart is a factory that is consistently producing evil. 
You know, when I grew up in India, there was a tire factory that came to our little town. I remember I was just, I don't know, elementary school or something. And they came and built a, built a big tire factory in our town. That was a three-story building. I remember as a little child going and looking at these three stories like Empire State Building. You know, that was like a big, tall building in the whole little town. And I remember it was full of glasses. And there was a beautiful mural painted at the entrance. And we, we looked at that factory in awe. And we always dreamed, the little kids dreamed of working in that factory one day. You know, I, I want to get a job in our tire factory. I want to work there. Everything was peachy until we discovered right around 3 o'clock to around 5 o'clock, there is a foul smell that comes from this factory. That is when they do some kind of a chemical treatment with the tires. And the odor that comes from that factory is so pungent that people couldn't literally live there because that smell was so bad and eventually the people protested and the factory ended up closing. The reason I'm talking about is, you know, when we think that we got it together, this pretentious blazer I'm, I'm just using as a, as a metaphor, we were on the top and our Christian coat or our, uh, our hypocritical coat on top of it, and then we introduce ourselves as, I am this Matthew John, and then God says, Matthew, yeah, yeah, nice to meet you, but I can smell you, no? <laughs> so this is very different from what culture teaches us. Culture says the problem is all out there, not in here. The problem is with the systems. The problem is with the government. The problem is with the president and whoever. But Jesus said, no, the problem is not out there. It is in here. That's why it's not very popular message. He said, we have to look deep within us. Because evil hearts create evil systems. And if you don't attack the evil at the very root of its being, there is no healing. You can have forgiveness, you can have temporary cure, but for us to have complete healing, we need to have attacked the evil at the very core of our being, which is right here, deep within our heart. And I can hide behind my hashtag and I can hide behind my Instagram filter. But the Lord says, you smell. That is the problem. It is not about how good you look in, in culture, in society, in front of the church. But I can smell you. Now that's a very, very dangerous thought. And I'm not talking about anybody else. I'm talking about myself. And as I read this verse, I was thinking about my own salvation story. You know, when I heard the gospel for the first time, I was probably around 17 or 18. My real problem was not about accepting Jesus. The thing is that I never thought that I needed Jesus. Now, I'm not bra bragging. I was brought up in a family, very nominal Christian family. We never went to church or we didn't know any, anything about Jesus. But my father was a morally upright man. Uh, in English, like in British English, we call teetotaler. Do you know that phrase? It's, you know, uh, British English, which is basically, I was brought up as a, as a Mr. Clean. I never drank. I never smoked. 
I wouldn't even play cards because it was considered gambling just for playing cards. Our family never went to a movie together because it is not considered a good thing to watch movies. Now, this is not a Christian family I'm talking about. Nominal Christian family. So I always thought that, hey, Jesus is for sinners, not for me. Because I always thought God and I are like, you know, I don't know, like a older brother and younger brother kind of things. Like, you know, the brothers are like that. You know, I never went to church because I didn't, not because I didn't believe in God. I, I didn't think I needed to go to church because God is my buddy, right? God is my older brother. But you know, brothers are, right? Brothers don't hang out together all the time. But when one brother needs you, for, needs you then the, the other brother will always be there. So that's what I thought, right? You know, God and I are in good relationship. And if I need anything, I know I can call on God. God will come and rescue me. And if God needs any help, I'm happy to go and help God too, right? That was my attitude. And unfortunately, that is the dangerously pervading attitude in this culture. Our moral Morally, we consider some, some kind of equivalency with God and that we don't need God. See, salvation is not a very difficult thing for God because salvation is already accomplished. Jesus has paid, paid for it all, right? Like as we sing. Jesus said, it is done. It is finished. Salvation is already available. But the problem is for us to realize that we need salvation. Oh boy, that's a very difficult thing. Because Christianity begins with a self-confrontation. My goodness, that's the most difficult thing about Christianity. It is like thousand mirrors pointed straight at your heart and God forces you to look at your heart and see how evil, how malevolent evil lurk in your heart. Not in the system, not outside, it is there, but it happens because of you. And God forces you to look at your heart and that's the most painful thing. You know, we don't talk about salvation because we have to talk about sin to talk about salvation. That's why we carefully avoid so, such a so-called Christian lingo, right? We don't talk about salvation. That's very 70-something kind of a... No, but it is the core of the Bible. But we have to first talk about sin. Unless we have a broken heart, a self-realization of how wretched we are, we can never accept Jesus into our heart the way we are meant to do it. You know, the unfortunate thing about, particularly in Western Christianity, is that many people come to church because somebody invites them. You know, we do a movie club and somebody comes to watch a movie and they come and see some good Christian friends and they say, whoa, whoa, that's great. This is a good community. And then they come to church, the preacher gives a very good message with a lot of jokes and you know, PowerPoints and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, this is great. And then they see the church is doing a lot of things. We do soup kitchens and community activities. This is great. I want to be part of this community. And we say, well, he had to take a membership class. Oh, yeah, membership class is great. And then we eventually sign up. And then we become leaders and even pastors. I don't know. I mean, this is the process. But actually, Christianity has to begin with the self-confrontation 
of the realization of the malevolence that is dark, lurking deep within our heart. Only then we will accept, it, accept Jesus into our heart. Now, the interesting thing about salvation, did you, he, did you hear what, what the scripture says? If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised... <laughs> I don't know, how do you believe in your heart? I always believe with my mind. Because belief is always associated with our mind, right? Because we think with our mind and we feel with our heart. Now the challenge is not just to believe in a statement of faith or the core value or whatever you put, uh, put it out there, but it is to believe in your heart because the problem is with the heart. Only when we believe in our heart, we will get this heart transplant. We will have this new heart that the Lord is going to give us. We have to believe in our heart. And I remember the first time it happened, and many people tried to convince me about Christianity. I believed in Christianity. I believed Jesus died for my sins, and I believed everything Christian tenet. I used to read the Bible, but never struck me. This realization, and until there was a time specifically, I remember, I was sitting by a staircase, and there was this lady in her 60s at the time, or maybe late 50s, and she has never gone to school. And uh, this lady was talking to me. Suddenly, she broke out to, into this, this spontaneous conversation about how much Jesus loves us. And it's not about the intellectual articulations or, or the systematic theology or anything. This lady didn't know anything. And I remember that, that moment very clearly. I was around 17. And this lady was talking about the love of Jesus manifested on the cross and how that, what that meant to her. And that was the moment I, I remembered something leaking. I, I'm crying. I am crying. I don't know why I was crying. And I remember that that moment that shattered my ego. And that's the moment I always go back to. That's the moment I accepted Jesus into my life. I knew cognitively. Unfortunately, in our culture, we are, we are, tried to, we are, we are, we are trying to package faith in a cognitive realm. Right? But the faith has to become something affective. That journey of faith from head to heart is the longest journey for faith to take. And we have to believe with our heart. Because the moment we accept Jesus, not into our head, into our heart, that's when we get a heart transplant. And I challenge you today that to receive that experience. And I, when I have that experience, I remember crying out, just like Paul did, Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the foremost of all, he said. At that moment, I realized that I'm not a buddy with God. I'm not a brother of God. I am the worst of all. I am the foremost of all. I am worse than a serial killer because this evil that is hiding inside my blazer, it, you know, that, that heart that is beating inside my, my body is plotting the very evil I am trying to solve in this world. The root of all evil, the origin of all evil was traced back to my own heart. That is probably the most painful 
experience I ever had in my entire spiritual life. And I'm going to challenge you today. My brothers and sisters, if you never had that experience in your personal life, all of what I'm going to say, all I'm saying right now, all what the church is communicating to you will be a very good, nice message to hear. And that's all it is going to be. Unless it goes to the affective realm, faith is not going to move you. If faith doesn't move you, then we are nothing but a joke in the culture. We are a bunch of good people coming here, sitting and singing very nice songs, listening to great messages. That's all we are. For the culture to see us, it is not about how loud we shout from the pulpit. It is not about how beautiful our Instagram filter is, our, our graphics and the social media is. It is about the faith that moves, that the way we accept Jesus into our heart. And also, it gives us a kind of boldness that otherwise we will not have. Because salvation begins with, you remember that verse said, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. Now, very often people think, why do we have to say Jesus is Lord with our mouth? I believe that, right? Like, you know, confess with, you know, why should I say it out loud? You know, when you really understand the context in which, in which it was written, this is a culture in which people had to proclaim Caesar is the Lord on a daily basis. Like in Nazi Germany, the hail salute, right? In the same way, they had the hail Caesar. And every street corner, they had to proclaim. Every main ceremony, they had to proclaim, Caesar is the Lord. Augustus Caesar, who lived at the time Jesus was born, was called the Son of God. And Caesar was the Lord. Now, for a Christian in the first century to confess with their mouth that Jesus is the Lord was clear blasphemy and he is going to immediately be accused as a traitor. And they are going to be, you know, basically straight. They go straight to the jail, prison, and even death sentence. So for a Christian to confess Jesus as the Lord, which really means in our context to be sold out for Jesus, and admit the dominion of Christ in our life. No matter what the culture says, no matter what the government says, but we have to be able to stand firm as we sang today and proclaim boldly Jesus and only Jesus is our Lord. And that boldness will come only if we have a heart transplant. Otherwise, you, I know you'll clap, I appreciate that. But, you know, I'm not saying this for some cheap applause. And I'm saying this because I want us to be moved. I want you to go through that painful experience I had with that self-confrontation in which you realize that you need a heart transplant. Maybe you have been in church for many years. Maybe you lived in a Christian home. Maybe you have ministered in so many different levels. But we, but I, I, would, I would want you to have that, that, that heart transplant that comes through the self-confrontation. And, and I'm telling you, that's going to change the world. When it starts from our heart, when it starts from who we are, then it is going to change the world. When you start from in here, then out there will automatically change. And if it doesn't, there is something, something wrong. We have to come back. What happened in here? 
And I'm not naive to say that everything is rosy and peachy outside. There are, there are problems, there are layers of issues, problems we have to solve. But all I am saying is that the diagnosis of Jesus that clearly distinguishes Christianity from any other religion and philosophy is that it starts with you, with your heart, with the heart transplant. And I'm going to invite the worship team back into the pulpit to close the service. And I will also finish the story I started. So this man <laughs> was waiting and waiting for a donor to come for a heart transplant and nothing happened. And after waiting for years, suddenly he got a call. There is a heart and everything perfect, matches with his blood type and everything. So he went to the hospital, got the transplant, and uh, he recovered completely. And he was like a new man again, regained his health, renewed his strength, and very happy. And the man thought, the first thing I need to do is to call my doctor and appreciate what he did, this diagnosis. So he called the doctor and nobody picked up the uh, phone. So he called his uh, home, and this doctor's dad picked up the phone and he said, I am this person and I'm uh, calling to thank my doctor for arranging this heart transplant. And I would like to talk to the doctor. And the doctor's father said, and I'm glad you called and I want you to know this. My son, who is your doctor, was drafted into the war a couple of years ago. And he was fatally injured in a, a combat. But before he was going to die, at his final surgery, the room, he said, there is one of my patients is waiting there in my homeland, and he is waiting for a heart, and he has my same blood type. Can you make sure that my heart goes to this person? And the father said, I want you to know that you're welcome to my house anytime because the heart that is beating in your chest, in your body, is the heart of my son. And this, my brothers and sisters, is Christian salvation. And I want you to invite you to the cross as the worship team sings. And I want you to invite to the cross to see what happened. This is the distinguishable message of Jesus accomplishing the ultimate task of human salvation on the cross in which the priest became the sacrifice, the doctor became the medicine. All those blood of the gods and the lambs couldn't wash away the human sins. All those medicines prescribed by religions could not solve the human dilemma. But Jesus came down to this world carried our sins on the cross. And he said, it is finished. All you need to do is just believe it and receive it in your heart. And you will be welcome to my father's home anytime. And as I'm closing, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I want to pray for you. I want all of you to close your eyes. Eyes. And I want you to meditate on the cross and what happened on the cross. And I asked the worship team to, uh, for them to sing one of my favorite songs and they're going to sing it. And, and I love that song. And I want you to come to the cross 
in your heart as you pray. Because this, my friends, and this is the heart, and this is the core of Christianity, what happened on the cross. That's why Paul said, we preach Christ crucified. And the heart of the Christianity is the cross and what happened on the cross. And I want you to come and receive forgiveness for your sins. No, I want you to receive salvation, a heart transplant in which you will radically change and people around you will radically change. Your family will change, I promise. The world around you will, will change, I promise. That is how we bring revolution into the world. That's how the church is going to be the forefront of the culture. The church is going to lead the culture because what happened on the cross is very unique and very proprietary for Christianity and we own it and let us own it and I'm going to give you and I want to pray for you if you haven't accepted Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior I want you to receive the heart of the doctor I want you to receive the heart of Christ today And it is offered to you for free. You don't have to put any money in the basket. You don't have to attend church every Sunday. You don't have to do any any physical things because Christianity is not a do religion. Christianity is not a don't religion. Christianity is a done religion. Jesus said it is accomplished. It is here for you. I would like to pray for you. If you accept Jesus into your, your life, I would like to pray for you as I'm closing in prayer. Would you raise your hand so that I can see you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray. We come to the foot of the cross where we are bare naked. No blazer, no qualifications, no worldview from which we are coming, Lord. And we realize the deep chasm that is separating us from your grace, that our own pride, that this 13 evil products that is coming up from a conveyor belt from our heart. Lord, we pray that your blood will be poured into our heart. That we will receive a heart transplant. Like you promised to Ezekiel, that I will give you a new heart and I will renew the spirit in you. Like David prayed, Lord, we pray, create in me a clean heart, oh Lord. All these Old Testament saints waited and they were waited in that donor list for a promise that is to come. Now we have the privilege to embrace that promise because you have become so real to us. So we receive this, we accept this and we commit and we boldly proclaim Jesus is the Lord. Amen. Savior, I come quietly.
Thank you for coming to church today. And uh, thank you for accepting Jesus into your heart, whoever did this for the first time. And I want you to know that this is not a preacher's voice and it came from my heart. And very often when I come to the pulpit, I tell myself, I have to speak slow, I have to speak slow. But when I speak about something emotional, deeply personal, I can't control my, <laughs> my speed. So if you didn't understand half of what I said, listen to it again in YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some of our online audience can accept. I mean, you probably accepted Jesus, and I want you to know that. Please contact our church. We have an amazing prayer team. We have an amazing pastoral team. We have a great leadership who focuses on the need and relevance of prayer, and this is a community you want to be part of, okay? Uh, as you live right now, and may you go with the heart of Christ. May you embrace evangelism and the true salvation offered through the cross of Jesus Christ. And may you rest in the fact that the enemy has been defeated, the victory has been won, and you walk in the freedom of Christ because the Son has set you free and you will be free indeed. God bless you.